My name's Hannah Young, Deputy Consul General at the British Consulate General in New York, and welcome to Brits in the Big Apple, exploring the cultural connections between the UK and New York. My guest today is Andrew Bolton, Head Curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute, arguably the most famous fashion curator in the world. Andrew has staged hugely successful exhibitions, such as Savage Beauty, the 2011 retrospective of Alexander McQueen's fashion designs, China Through the Looking Glass in 2015, exploring the impact China's had on Western fashion, and Heavenly Bodies in 2018, which considered the nexus between fashion and the Catholic faith, which I think I'm right in saying was the most popular exhibition at the Met ever, attracting over 1.6 million visitors and featuring objects from the Vatican collection alongside designs by Versace, Galliano and Yves Saint Laurent. Andrew also works alongside Anna Wintour in putting together the annual Met Gala, arguably the hottest ticket in town, which marks the opening of the Costume Institute's annual fashion exhibit. Sadly, last year's event was cancelled due to the pandemic, but we're delighted to learn that a more intimate in-person event will return this September to mark the start of the two-part exhibition, celebrating the 75th anniversary of the museum's Costume Institute. Part one, entitled In America, a Lexicon of Fashion, will explore the modern vocabulary of American fashion, and part two, an anthology of fashion, will open in May next year. In 2015, Andrew was awarded the Vilcek Prize in Fashion, which is given to non-American artists in recognition of outstanding achievement and impact here in the US. And in the announcement at the time, the foundation said that Andrew brings to his work an intellectual rigor balanced by an enthusiasm for the aesthetic beauty of fashion. Andrew is also a patron of the Saraband Foundation, established originally by Alexander McQueen to support and nurture the next generation of artists and designers. Andrew, it's a real pleasure to welcome you onto Brits in the Big Apple. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, well, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for that very, very warm welcome. Very humbling. Um, well, um, it's an incredibly impressive career that you have. And I wonder if you could start by giving our audience a brief overview of your career journey to date. Sure, yeah. Well, it was very circuitous, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I've always loved fashion and I was lucky enough to grow up in England uh, at the time when all the style magazines were burgeoning, like The Face and Arena. Uh, blitz um, and, and ID. So it was a, an, an incredibly rich moment in fashion, particularly street style in England at that moment. So, you know, that really did sort of sort of sow the seeds in me in terms of, mm. in terms of uh, my love of fashion and, and music too. You know, when I was growing up, I, I was growing, I grew up in a very in a small village in Lancashire, a small town in Lancashire. Um, so my access to, to music and fashion really was through these style magazines. Obviously the music magazines like Enemy and, um, and it was just an extraordinary moment in terms of that meeting of music and fashion and art and just very, very inspiring. But I never thought, I, you know, you could actually do a, um, you know, have a profession, a sort of academic profession in, um, in fashion, you know, in the 80s, it was still a very burgeoning, you know, very new career, I think, you know, fashion curatorship, at least, you know, through my knowledge. So when I was at, um, at, at college, I remember two anthropologists coming to visit us and I was, um, really sort of I love the sort of romance of the work that they did um, but I also loved you know I, I loved the sort of comparisons of 
less the differences between cultures and more the comparisons between cultures. Mm. And I became really interested in sort of um, cross-cultural cross dress and cross-cultural dressing. So I did anthropology at university. And, uh, you know, and again, my way in really was about the way different cultures dressed and the, the, the way the different cultures use dress as self-expression and identity. Um, and, you know, when I graduated, I, I traveled a bit around um, Southeast Asia and um, when, I, when I did my, my, my postgrad, again, my postgrad again was in uh, non-Western art. Um, but again, I was just so fascinated in, in terms of the, the, the dress of different cultures. My, my, my first museum job, you know, I was actually on, on track to do a, a PhD in, um, in, in, in anthropology. Uh, in non-Western art, and um, I was offered a job at the V&A um, just as a curatorial assistant, and I thought I would just do it for a year. You know, I, 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 was, I, I you know, love museums, but I, I, you know, really have really was focusing on a more more of a sort of um, academic um, career within um, a university, and I loved it from the minute I began my job, and it was a, it was a very very junior curatorial assistant, and at that time at the V&A. You, it was a, you, a, a, the training was that you would go to different departments, you know, so you go to um, textiles and dress or furniture or metalwork or um, the East Asian department. And I actually started off in the glass and ceramics department. And, um, and they were renovating the, the glass gallery at the time. So in actual fact, I stayed there for two years. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't have that opportunity of, of having that experience from the different um, curatorial departments, unfortunately. But at that time, um, I think it was 19, oh gosh, when was it? Maybe 1994, maybe Hannah. Um, and um, the, the v did this extraordinary exhibition called Street Style from sidewalk to catwalk, I think it was. It was curated by Amy Delahaye, who at the mm -hmm. time was the 20th century curator of fashion in, at the v &A. And it was just such an inspiring exhibition in terms of the fact that it was you know, street style, which I love, but it was looking at the influence of street style on, on high fashion, on oak mm. and, and high fashion. And it was all organized in terms of different tribes and different, different sort, of, um, sort of street style tribes. And it was just really, really inspiring. So, so I think that was the sort of, um, you know, one of the moments when I you know, really, really felt in my heart that perhaps a career in, in, in fashion could be a, a possibility. Um, and prior to that, I have to say prior to that, I was, um, the two shows that I, that I, that again, really impressed me. And again, sowed those seeds in my mind that, that perhaps a career in, fa in fashion within a museum was possible was Harold Coder and Richard Martin's Fashion and Surrealism. And it was mm. an exhibition at FIT in, in New York. And it looked at how surrealist tropes had been adopted by fashion designers, I mean, ideas of displacement and transformation, and, and the emphasis on the body and body parts. And I remember, I remember um, one Christmas, I was given one of their catalogs called Jocks and Nerds, um, and it was about men's style in the 20th century, and it focused on archetypes of masculinity, like the cowboy and the dandy, the rebel. Mm. And, you know, to me, there was such incredible ambassadors for fashion, Richard and Harold, because they elevated fashion fashion's artistic and intellectual status. Um, so I think I think it was really, my, my, even though it, um, Amy's show Street Style was probably a turning point for me, you know, the seeds were very much sown by Harold's and Richard's shows at FIT. Mm. Wow. And, and now you're in New York and you've been here for a number of years. 
um, was coming to New York a calculated part of your career or a subconscious draw? Hmm. I think it may have been, it was, may have been all of those and also chance, you know, I, I, you know mm. chance, chance and luck. <laughs> as, as <laughs> you know thankfully you know such a such an amazing part of my of my career but at the time i was working on it was the um, early 2000s and i was working on an exhibition on yoli uh, the american incredible american designer yoli who uh, is really known for her architectural approach to to fashion and i was in new york with with yoli i think it was about 2001 and I was working on the checklist with her for the installation I was working on at the V&A. And she knew I was a huge fan of Harold Coder, um, who's a very close friend of, of Yo Lee's. Mm -hmm. And one, one morning I went in and she said, oh, I've organized lunch with, with Harold. Uh, he'd, just been, he'd just been made um, curator in charge of the Costume Institute. Um, and, you know, I, I was thrilled, but so intimidated. And we, I remember when we went to a restaurant called Patino's in Chelsea. And literally, and I, I, I was so shy and so quiet, I, I barely said a word. And, uh, and I was listening to Harold's incredible ideas for um, his new tenure at the, at the Costume Institute. He was working on a show called Goddess, which is about the influence of classicism on, on fashion. And, you know, it was just, again, I was, it was like meeting, well, it was meeting the hero. And so I was completely <laughs> taken aback when about a month later, he called me up and asked me if I was interested in uh, working with him as an associate curator at the Costume Institute. So, so it was, you know, while I'd been a fan of his for so, so, so many years, um, you know, I, I never thought it was an opportunity, that, that, that a possibility really of working at the, it was a dream, obviously a huge dream of mine, but I never thought it was really a, a sort of re a real, a realistic opportunity. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it. And I'd just been, I'd just started a new job at the, at the VNA, which I loved, which was a sort of research, a research associate that was in a sort of collaboration with the London College of Fashion, which I'm again, a huge fan of. And I just started it when I was loving it, but I just thought, gosh, you know, this opportunity to work with Harold, you know, my hero mm. in New York, mm -hmm. the Costume Institute, one of the best collections in the world. I, it was extraordinary. So yeah, so it was, it was, you know, really a chance meeting with Harold in a way, thanks to Yo Lee. Wow. And, and how long have you been in New York for? So since 2002, so coming up okay. to my, almost 20th anniversary yeah wow and and I'm really interested to know what what is it about New York that's kept you here and I think I read recently that you said you you felt more of an immigrant in some respects going back to the UK than <laughs> when in the US so it clearly feels like your home but tell us tell us what it is about New York that that has kept you here for all that time yeah it does it does feel like home to me now I have to say it, you know it took a long time for that feeling to sort of take root <laughs> Um, because I, London's probably my favourite city in the world, and, and I think I think my my heart's here, my heart's in New York certainly, but my soul I think still is in in, in London. Um, but I think it's you know I think personally and professionally, I have to say, Anna, you know, um, the Met is such an extraordinary place to work. You know, I, I I've loved over the years building the collection um, for for the costume industry. You know, I I love the fact that every year I'm allowed to create an exhibition um, that mm. you know, hopefully has an impact on people's lives or people's, people's ideas about fashion. And I also love how New Yorkers appreciate fashion. You know, it's one of the first cities in America, in the world that had a, you know, a newspaper 
solely devoted <laughs> to to women's wear daily is solely associated with with with, fa with 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 fashion and i i also love you know i love the opportunity to present fashion in an art museum context in the context of of, of an art museum and having access to obviously our collection but also the other collections in in, in the museum like you know the china show was a collaboration with the um, asian art department um um, Heavenly Bodies was a collaboration with the medieval department, and I'm now mm. working with the American Wing on uh, an exhibition on American fashion. So I love, I love having mm. that ability to work and collaborate with my colleagues and draw from their collections. It's, it's given me an, an opportunity to present fashion in a wider historical context and a wide historical narrative. So, so I, I think I've, I've, I've really, really enjoy, enjoyed that. And obviously, my partner um, Tom Brown is here. Um, so it's it's uh, per personally, you know, my heart's here in so so many different ways. <laughs> I think also, you know, what I love about America, you know, there's a there's an incredible positivity and optimism in America. That, you know, a, a sort of can-do mentality that I I really take towards. But saying that, you know, I miss everything about London. I miss its energy. Sure. I miss its vibrancy. I, I miss its diversity. I miss its music. I miss its street style. I miss it pop culture and <laughs> chocolate. You know, I, I, I love tea at Claridge's. There's so many traditions and institutions about London that I, that I, that I really miss and really, uh, really miss. And I, I think that's one of the things that, that I've missed the most over the pandemic is not being able to travel to London and mm. Europe and to London. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm still, you know, my heart's obviously in New York, but my soul's in New York and I'm still slightly divided. You're listening to Brits and the Big Apple. My guest today is Andrew Bolton, head curator at Met Museum of Arts Costume Institute. Andrew, I wanted to explore a little bit more uh, the cultural connections that you briefly talked about earlier. And given that you've worked at the VNA, which is the UK's premier costume institution, can you talk a little bit more about the culture around fashion and fashion exhibitions in the US and the UK? And, you know, do the audiences differ in their appreciation of fashion? What are the similarities? What have you, what have you experienced over, over the years? I think the main difference, I mean, you know, the, the, the V&A is a, a design museum and, you know, so when I was working at the V&A, you know, in, in my various capacities, it was very much about looking at, you know, focusing on, on, on um, fashion as a, as a decorative arts, as an as, as a, as a, as a expression of, of, of design and, you know, a, a lot of it was, was placing fashion within a sort of um, design history narrative and um, a, a design history critical perspectives. I think at the VN, I think at the Met, you know, the, the emphasis is much more on the artistry of fashion. So fashion as an art form and the expression of fashion as an art form. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I that I that I I, I felt initially when I first started here. I, I think that gap's diminishing now, um, you know, certainly in terms of all the exhibitions that um, different museums putting on in fashion. I think I think that yeah. those differences between art, you know decorative arts, fine arts, design disciplines and cultural criticism is, I think they're all merging, thank goodness, and it's a really positive move. Um, but that certainly was the biggest, the biggest sort of, sort of um, um, difference I saw initially. And I think just in general, you know, there's a, there's a, just in, in, in terms of sort of the cultural appreciation in general, there's a, there's a much greater emphasis on philanthropy in America, I think. And there's a very strong tradition of financially supporting museums. You, know, you think about the Tishies or, or the Cokes in, in, um, in America. I mean, you, you sort of, you know, you have those great philanthropic dynasties in England, like the Sainsbury's, 
but I think it's more consolidated in the US. Uh, museums have much, you know, in, in UK have much greater governmental support. But I mm. think that the um, there's a, you know, a big culture of philanthropy, and that was to me a, a very a big learning curve for me when I when I started started at the museum, and the fact that you know uh, as well as the, the, the sponsorships that our shows our shows receive you know I've just been recently been named the Wendy U curator in charge and I think that a lot most heads of departments in the museum have their their positions endowed uh, and again that's something very different in America than I think it is in in, in London so that 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 struck me as be, be, being quite different but I think I think and I think the, the main difference as I said initially was the fact that you know within what you know displaying fashion in an art museum context mm. you, was very different to me than displaying fashion in a design history context of the V&A. Mm. That to me was the biggest, the biggest change and the biggest difference when I, when I moved here. Mm. And do you think that that makes fashion more accessible? Do you think that broadens the audience? If you, if you make it part of an art form rather than just as, as a design con construct? I don't think so, actually. I think that both mm -hmm. both approaches have, um, you know, a very similar audience. I think that, you know, what's been really encouraging you know, to see over the last, you know, 20 years, my, my career here, is the importance that um, critics and, you know, critics you know, with a big C and, and critics with a small C, how they've approached fashion. I think, I think there's a, a greater appreciation of fashion as an art form, but I think there's also a greater appreciation of, of the centrality of fashion mm. within our lives and the centrality of, of fashion within contemporary culture. So I think I, I do think over the years, my, you know, what has changed is a, is, is, a, is a much greater appreciation of fashion as an art form. And, 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 and you know, I think that, that that old hierarchy of the arts, you know, which have, has existed for so long, Anna, and I think, you know, in mm. some people's minds still does exist, you know, where fashion was at the bottom <laughs> rung of the ladder, just, just below photography. And I think it, I think that's changing. I think that, you know, the fact that more and more artists are embracing um, fashion in their, in their artistic practice. And I think also the fact that um, fashion is realizing its, its power. You know, I think mm. that there's no other art form that is so, obviously obviously connected to the body but an art form that is able to expl express really complex ideas about ide about identity about gender mm. about sexuality about race about ethnicity there's no other art form that's that because of the connection to the body that allows you to express those really complex ideas and complex notions of identity and i think designers are realizing that taking realizing the power of that and I think that's why a lot of artists want to collaborate with designers because they realize that that the, the power of fashion and the fact that fashion is you know that it's accessible you know everybody, everybody has an opinion about fashion and it's it's democratic you know not there's a democracy to fashion that I think allows people an access to it mm. and, and an immediacy that I don't think any other art form has that ability to sort of respond to the zeitgeist quite so quickly and quite so immediately as, as fashion. So I think that I think that I think designers are, are, are beginning to harness that power. And I think you know the wider art community is realizing the 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 power that fashion has, you know, fin finally. Mm. I think that's a really fascinating point because you know on the surface high fashion is pretty exclusive, mm. but actually fashion itself and 
dressing the body is incredibly universal. You know, we all do it every day. Uh, and so uh, stripping it back to that aspect, I think is, is a really, really interesting way of making it more accessible. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your efforts at the Met to make your work as accessible as possible. Um, obviously, you know, hugely important ongoing issue both here in the US and the UK is around diversity and inclusion and um, uh, encouraging greater diversity in the workplace. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing at the Met in that regard? Yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's, we, we've been, you know, it's, it's some effort, it's efforts that we've been working on for several years now, but obviously it was consolidated during the, the pandemic and the, and the social justice movements of last year. Uh, and it made us all realise that, you know, notions of, of race and ethnicity can no longer be, they, they have to be part of your intellectual decision making process going forward mm. they, can't, they can no mm. longer it has to be part of your part of your 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 intellectual process um so you know we've been working you know for several years now on looking at our collection trying to diversify our collection um trying to diversify our exhibition program um more long-term trying to diversify our curatorial pool you know the moment we have all our curators are white myself and three female curators but um we're, we're working very hard um at, 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 at diversifying um our, our curatorial pool uh, in the short term as i said it's it, you know our efforts really have been diversifying the collection um and 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 diversifying our exhibition program so next year um this year should i say um in september and in and next may we're doing this two-part exhibition on called in america and the first part is in America, a lexicon of fashion, as you said, and the second part is in America, um, an anthology of fashion. So I think what we've, we've been trying to do, and uh, and again, as I said, the social justice movements very much consolidated was was revisit our collection and uncover hidden stories, you know, to sort of complicate and problematize received narratives on fashion history and offer you know alternative histories and alternative readings of fashion so that's something that has been very close to my heart for a few years um, but we're, we're eventually realizing realizing that now and uh, as i said it was very much consolidated by the social justice movements of the summer um, and and many of the stories that we will be talking about in these exhibitions will address issues of equity and diversity and inclusion within within american fashion and the pandemic too and i have to say the pandemic has had a big impact as well you know during the pandemic you know i reread um a book by Vitold Rybczynski and it was called home a short history of an idea and it's this incredible book where he focuses less on the functions of of, of the rooms in our homes and more on the qualities you know so qualities like ease or comfort or well-being you know intimacy mm. or privacy and to you know when i was reading it it just really resonated with how I was relating to my apartment during the pandemic, and I'm sure many others as well. You know, I, I felt that these sort of expressive qualities uh, really, really resonate with how we're relating to clothing now as well. You know, and I think that you know, again, both the pandemic, you know, which talks, you know, very much about self-reflection, but also with the social justice movements about self-representation. And I think, you know, it, they, they made me really reflect on language, actually, I have to say, mm. and vocabulary and nomenclature. It made me realize how important and how critical language is to those movements. Um, so I just thought it would be, you know, really sort of prescient to develop a modern lexicon of American fashion that, you know, that prioritized these emotional qualities or connections to our clothes, but also dealt with these deeper issues of equity and diversity and, and in, in, 
inclusion. I, I think that language is more important now than it's ever been. Mm. Um, so I did, I did want to spotlight that centrality or significance in our lives by creating this mod modern lexicon of fashion. That's fascinating. Um, and it's really exciting that you can um, put on uh, such a, an important exhibition at this time. And I wanted to ask a little bit more about the pandemic and the impact that it's had. Obviously, the um, the big uh, gala had to be cancelled last year, um, but but the museum obviously shut its doors as well for a number of months. And I just wonder if you could tell us a bit more about how you've managed to stay in touch with your audience over the course of uh, the past year. Yeah, we yeah, the, the, you know we, the not having the gala, you know, was was a bit. You know, we're the only department um, in the museum that raises its own funds to cover our, our, mm. our, our you know operating costs, our salaries, um, the operating costs. So you know, it it, it, it was you know. It, it was fiscally challenging, you know, not having the gala um, last year because of the because of that because of that reason. But at the same time, you know, it was it, it's you know the pandemic. You know, it's it's been interesting. You know, it, I'm busier than ever. You know, it's, you know, it's so many meetings. I'm sure you're the same manner. It's just like yeah. I didn't people just take the opportunity just to have. And, oh, it's just it drives me crazy. <laughs> meetings drive me crazy, but. You know, it, it, it has allowed me to be more involved with the wider museum culture and community. And, you know, mm. for me, at least, it's been a real year of adaptation, as you say, finding new ways of working and finding new platforms to promote the work that we're doing. And most of that, I have to say, was digitally, you know, by, by doing um, more, more virtual outreach. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, it's also allowed us to be to really sort of focus a little bit more on our DEIA initiatives, you know, by identifying short-term and long-term objectives. But to me, it was, you know, it really was a year of reflection and um, mm. self-reflection, you know, what's worked in the past, what hasn't worked, and, and going forwards, trying to think of new ways of presenting and interpreting fashion, you know, in a way, uh, trying to think of new paradigms for, for, for displaying fashion. So that, in, that it's been an opportunity for that. I think, I think one of the, the dif difficulties for me because I'm I'm quite a, quite spontaneous is I think that it, you know, I, I found that difficult dealing with you know the, the fact that you know it's really had a negative impact on spontaneity mm. you have to mm. you have to plan everything and organize everything I'm not the greatest I really am not the best organizer as as, as my colleagues will, <laughs> will testify so you know the fact that it, you know having to like always think always organize and think about things has been a little bit difficult but you know you know I, I and I think meetings have, you know, there's, there's, um, there's encouraged, there's encouraged an informality sometimes that I think sometimes, you know, um, doesn't, isn't always the, the sort of, the sort of um, best, sort of, um, uh, you, don't, you don't always get the best, the best result from it. But in, in terms of, you know, personally, I'm such, I'm such a homebody. So I, I haven't really missed going to restaurants and, you know, um, I, I really enjoyed actually more time to reflect on my work and and, and my life. I mean, I tend to be overly, overly self-reflective, so it's, I have to have a conscious effort to get out of, outside mm. of my head sometimes. But I think, as what I said earlier, traveling has been really hard, I have to say. So not traveling to England or to Europe to see fashion shows. You know, I'm, I'm pretty old school. I, I, I don't think a digital fashion show can ever replace the in-person experience. You know, I think feeling the energy of a fashion show, looking at the clothes, you know, the details, how they move, the materiality of the clothes, you just don't get that from a, 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 a digital fashion show. So um, I, I've loved that. I've really enjoyed seeing how fashion designers have responded to the pandemic 
by necessity and, and, and you know, creating these hybrids between digital and, digital and physical um, and doing films. And it's just been extraordinary. But just me personally, I've really missed um, seeing, seeing the clothes and, and seeing the movement of the clothes, the dynamism, the energy. So I, I've, really, I've really missed that. So it's, there's been pros and cons. Yes, it's, it's fascinating uh, what you're saying about spontaneity and, and you're right, in many respects, the fashion industry has, uh, as, as the rest of the world, uh, has done, uh, you know, just work out a different way of uh, reaching its audience. But I wonder whether there will be uh, an impact on creativity and whether we will look back and say, actually, you know, that was a year where, you know, maybe we didn't have as much innovation or spontaneity as, as we could otherwise have done. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. I think you, I think I, I agree, Hannah. I think I think time will tell. I, I have to say, I've been I've been really personally really impressed by how designers, particularly you know, I, I've been keeping such a close eye on the American designers because of the exhibition, but because I'm here, obviously, and I've been really impressed by um, how they've responded to the pandemic and have found new ways to show their work, present their work, but also how they've responded to the pandemic and how they've responded to the different social. Um, justice movements too. I think that you know, there's that they've they've really embraced notions of diversity and inclusion in the work, and and I think you know, the, along with the British designers, I have to say, I think the British designers and the American designers are really at the vanguard of issues of diversity, body diversity, um, gender fluidity, but also ideas of sustainability and transparency. I've been really impressed by the British and the American designers and how, and how they've responded to you know the to the current climate. Um, and and embrace embrace these social and uh, political uh, issues that we're all dealing with. I think they've done an, an incredibly brilliant job. Mm. Yes, and and you're right on climate change in particular. Um, we're very excited about uh, hosting COP26 uh, later on this year, and um, are currently exploring opportunities as part of New York Fashion Week to showcase some of the amazing work that, as you say, designers and artists are doing around sustainability right. in fashion and, and in supply chains as well. So exciting. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We're so thrilled that you have a new exhibition coming down the track and we wish you all the very best uh, uh, in your future endeavours. Thank oh, you. No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.